When you talk about humility, most guys hear the word humiliation. And for good reason. If you think about the last 30 or 40 years of pop culture, every depiction, every depiction of a good guy, a humble guy, is the depiction of some kind of lovable, laughable fool. Think about every guy, every dad that you've seen in your favorite sitcom, with the exception maybe of Uncle Phil. He was the man. Just about every guy that you've ever seen depicted in pop culture, in particular in sitcoms, is some kind of lovable, laughable idiot. To be humble is to be humiliated. Unless, of course, they're being depicted as some kind of overbearing jerk. Now, I will say that there is one standout exception to this rule in American pop culture. And the exception to this rule is the greatest TV dad, TV guy that has ever been portrayed. And his name is Coach Eric Taylor, the head coach of the Dillon Panthers from Friday Night Lights. If you want to see an example of a good guy, a great guy, the best guy, the best kind of husband, father, and football coach the world has ever known, you need to watch Friday Night Lights. And if you've never watched Friday Night Lights, what have you been waiting for? It's been out for like 15 years. It's available for streaming. I highly recommend it. Go watch all of it. Come back and thank me later. Now, the reason I highlight this is because today we are coming to the conclusion of a teaching series that we've been in for the last five weeks called God Made Man, where we have been trying to give the guys in our church and all those who are cheering them on a fresh vision of what it means to be a man made in the image of God. And we have said that there are five marks of a God made man. Quick, quick review. The first is faith. He's a man who is deeply dependent on the person and work of Jesus. The second mark is health, meaning he is keenly aware of his hurts, his hang-ups, his wounds, and he takes ownership over those things. Uh, the third mark is that he, well, he is responsible. He welcomes taking on the well-being of other people. And then lastly, we said the fourth mark was that he is a good steward. He's a good steward of his own drive and desire. And today, we close it all out by talking about the fifth and final mark of a God-made man. And the final mark of a God-made man is humility. But gentlemen, when I say this, please understand, I'm not talking about pop culture male humility. I'm not talking about being a lovable idiot. When we talk about humility, we're not talking about humiliation. Here's what we talk about. We are talking about a man who is willing to embrace the difficulties of life for the sake of loving other people. A humble man who is not above embracing the hardships of life for the sake of loving others. You could put it like this. A God-made man is a man who understands that life carries a curse and that the good things in life come at a cost. He's a man who's probably familiar with Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, all of humanity dives headlong into sin, rebelling against God, and there are consequences. In fact, there is a literal curse that comes from God onto humanity and specifically onto the guys in humanity. And the curse can be summarized in just one verse. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19 says this. This is God speaking to Adam and to Adam to all of mankind. He says this, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. And you might be thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm gluten-free. I'm not a big bread fan. 
Bread stands for all the good things, the necessary things that you want in life. God's word to Adam is this. All the good things you want in life are now going to come on the other side of things you'd rather avoid. The things, you, the things you want, the things you need, the things you desire, they're, they're going to have to be fought for. They're going to have to be worked for. You're going to have to grind. You're going to have to go get those things. And in the end, even after that, you're still going to die. Life carries with it a curse. And the good things in life, they come at a cost. Life has hardship. And a sign, a mark of maturity is a man's willingness to embrace that simple fact. The person I want to be the things I need, the stuff I want is on the other side of difficulties that I am tempted to avoid. And so I am going to embrace those difficulties in order to have the things that I need and want and to become the person that I know that I am supposed to be. Life carries a curse and the good things come at a cost. And a mature man understands that. Now on the flip side, an immature man is always trying to get out from under that. He wants, to, he wants to have the crop without bearing the curse. He wants to have the spoils without fighting the battle. And he's always worried about whether or not he's going to get his. And he's always trying to find a workaround, trying to find an easy way to the desired outcome. He complains a lot about fairness. Well, if it's going to be hard for me, is it going to be hard for them? always trying to find somebody else to do the most difficult part, even as he enjoys all the blessings that come with it. At its core, it's laziness. An immature man is lazy. He wants the spoils, but doesn't, have to fight, doesn't want to have to fight the battle. But even deeper than laziness, what it is, is it's arrogance, it's pride. It's thinking that he is somehow above the difficulties of life, yet still deserving of all the good things in life. That's immaturity, but not a God-made man. A God-made man is humble. He knows he is no better than his ancestor, Adam. And he is not above the pains and the problems and the difficulties that are inherent to getting the things that you need and you want in order to survive in this life. He's humble like that. And so he embraces the difficulties. He doesn't try to get out from under them or find a work around them. Now, I understand that that picture might sound or seem a little dark to you, but it's really not. In fact, when, when a guy embraces this, that, that there are difficulties that come with life and you, you wrap your arms around them for the sake of, for the sake of being the person that you're supposed to be and, and enjoying the things that, that you're supposed to enjoy in this life, when you're, when you're willing to do that and you're willing to do it for the sake of other people, what you discover is that embracing this, being humble enough, being humble enough to embrace it is actually the key to, to real love and lasting joy. Embracing the difficulties of life for the sake of others is the key to real love and lasting joy. And, and don't take my word for it. Listen to Jesus. You heard these words just a minute ago. I'm going to read them again to you from a different translation. John chapter 15, listen to what Jesus says, starting at verse 13. Jesus says, All these things that I have spoken to you, I have spoken them to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants you to have a life of joy. How? This is my commandment, that you love each other. So love equals joy. But how should we love? 
as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, look, I want you to have joy. The key to joy is love, a particular kind of love, a love that embraces sacrifice, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others. And this is the secret to life. And what a God-made man knows is that by embracing the difficulties of life, he is able to prove his love to the world around him. And he is actually able to achieve and arrive at a sense of deep meaning and purpose and joy. And he knows this because Jesus himself has given him this command. Love the world through sacrifice and experience joy. And friends, that is the key. Do not think yourself above the difficulties of life, but embrace them. But embrace them for the sake of somebody else. Now, now gentlemen, this is not just about being a hard worker. Plenty of guys are hard workers, but for their own gain. This is about living a life that is for others. It is a life that is for others, not merely about you. Very often, the, the difficulties in some of the most important relationships that we have, gentlemen, is, it comes from a misunderstanding of what it means to actually demonstrate love to other people. Our instinct is to offer people love in the way in which we want to receive love to assume that, that our needs and our wants, our desires, are the other person's needs, wants, and desires. And if we're going to demonstrate love to them, we demonstrate love in the way in which we want to receive it. But, but the truth is that love is actually communicated by noticing the needs and the wants and the hurts of the other person and then working in such a way to respond to those specific needs, those hurts, and those wants. Gentlemen, it's not slaying the dragon that you see, it's slaying the dragon that she sees. And going and slaying that dragon for her at great cost to yourself. And when you notice her needs, her wants, when you recognize her desires, when you speak to her fears, when you slay her dragons that you might not think are very dragon-like, but you slay her dragons and you, at cost to yourself, you'll go out and do those things. That's when a light bubble goes off in her head that says, oh, this guy actually loves me. How do I know he loves me? He's got skin in the game when it comes to meeting my needs. That's how you know he loves you. Ladies, you should never trust any man who tells you he loves you, but he doesn't have any skin in the game. Because he can tell you he loves you all he wants, but unless he does the things that actually communicate love to you, he hasn't proven anything to you. Because love meets the needs of the other person at great cost to yourself. Love is a humble heart that says, I am not above embracing difficulty that does and accomplishes something for somebody other than myself. That is love. Now, of course, we see the greatest picture of this in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who in, in his humility enters into this world, though he is God in flesh, God's own son, he does not see himself as above entering into this world. He notices our needs, he sees our problems, he grasps our pains, and he is, he is not above entering into those very same problems and pains and difficulties. He takes on flesh and bone. He, he walks in this broken world. 
He, he has his relationships ruined. He's rejected by his own people. He has his flesh and blood nailed to a cross. He is crucified. He experiences death. He is placed in a grave without breath in his lungs. And he is dead. And then he rises out of all of that, has victory over all of our difficulty, and then hands the victory to you and to me. How do I know that God loves me? Simply because the Bible tells me so? No. You know God loves you because of what God in Christ Jesus has done for you. He was so humble that he would set aside his glory and come here, even if it were just for you, come here to live, to die, and to rise at great cost to himself, the cost of everything to give you forgiveness and an eternal life. That's how you know God loves you. But again, don't take my word for it. Listen to what the scriptures say. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. This is what love is. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. In Jesus Christ, we not only have received such humble love, but we now know the shape. We know the image. And we are empowered, gentlemen, to offer that same kind of love. Now, I am not saying that this is easy. A humble heart that says, I'm not above the difficulties of life, embracing them not just for my sake, but for the sake of other people, and in doing so, offering them and demonstrating, proving real love and experiencing deep joy. I am not telling you that that is easy. In fact, I'm telling you that it, it, it takes bravery. I'm telling you that it takes a, a, an audacious spirit that even wants to tackle such a calling. It, it takes, the best word is courage. It takes courage. In fact, that, that's the other thing that a God-made man who is humble knows. He knows that he is stepping into a life where he has to choose courage over comfort on a daily basis. He has to choose courage over his own comfort in the pursuit of love and joy day after day after day. The best definition for courage that I've ever come across, uh, I found in uh, John F. Kennedy's 1956 book, Profiles in Courage. You recall that before he was president, JFK was a senator, and he, he, he wrote a book called Profiles in Courage where he outlined the story of eight different lawmakers in U.S. history who defied public opinion and the will of their party in order to do what was right for the sake of the country at great cost to themselves. And, and that's the definition of courage that Kennedy offers in this wonderful little book. It went on to win the Pulitzer Prize, by the way. The definition of courage that he offers is simply this. It is doing the right thing for the sake of others despite the cost for yourself. Courage is doing the right thing for the sake of others at great cost to yourself. And what we're talking about, gentlemen, is being so humble that you would take on that call to courage, to know what is right, to count the cost for yourself, and to do it anyway for someone that you love. That's what we're talking about. 
And gentlemen, do you want to know like a great byproduct of this? This is the answer to some of your spiritual stagnation that you have been experiencing. I talk to guys who feel like their faith is, is dead or dry or dying or like it has little relevance to their life. And they'll say, Pastor, what should I do? My faith just feels kind of meh. And of course, I'll say to them, you know, you should probably read the scriptures. You should pray. You should come to church. You should do all those things. But at the top of the list, you know what you should do? You know what you should do? You should, you should go where Jesus goes. Now, here's what I mean by that. Where does Jesus go? Jesus goes to where the need is in the lives of others, and he dives into meeting that need, responding to that need at great cost to himself. If you want to experience a deeper relationship with Jesus, follow him where he goes. And where he is going is to the need of your neighbor, to the pain of your spouse, to the hurt and the fears of your kids, to the cries of the heart of your community that's wrestling, suffering with something. He goes to where that is, and at great cost to himself, he tries to respond to it, answer it, forgive it, deal with it. Follow him into those places. We have a God of radical sacrifice, love, and service. And so when we follow him into sacrifice and service, when we do not think we are above it, but like Christ, think we are called to it, when we dive into those moments, we will find that we meet him there. His grace is there. His power is there. His spirit is there to meet us in those places where we are at the end of ourselves in order to offer something essential to someone that God loves. You want spiritual vibrancy to return? Go where Jesus goes. And watch as he goes with you. Again, turn to the scriptures. This is all over the scriptures. Look at, look at Philippians. Philippians says this. Philippians chapter 2. Verses three through four, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He goes on to say, have the same mind of Jesus Christ. Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And that leads me to my last point for today. That being a man of humility is about having a vision for your life that is about more than just you. Throughout the last five weeks, we've talked a lot about vision, about, about the reason behind this series is to give guys a, a greater vision for what it means to be a man. But ultimately, the vision that you have for your life should not just be about you. Despite the fact that, that gentlemen, you and I are encouraged from the day we're born to think only about ourselves. When it comes to, to where we're going and who we want to be and what we want to become, it's always, it's always, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be when you grow up? And, and those are not bad questions. I'm just saying that they're not the full question. Gentlemen, you are called to have a vision for your life. Who do you want to be in the end? What do you want to accomplish by the time, you're, by the time your time on this earth is done? What do you want to be known for? What are the values you want to embrace? What do you want to be said of you and true of you? Have a vision for that, but don't just have it be about you. Answer this question, who am I going to take with me? In fact, that's the question that guys ask and answer for themselves. Where am I going and who am I taking with me? It's about, it's about a transition from being, being a me guy to a we guy. It's not just about me, it's always about us. 
And it doesn't matter if you're single or married, if you're retired or you're just now graduating and entering into your career. Look at the spheres of influence that you have. Look at the circles and the tribes that you're in, the people that are around you, and believe for a second that that is not accidental and that you are called into those circles and those spheres and those relationships for a purpose, gentlemen. You are called to have a vision for yourself that includes them. As you have a vision for how you're going to live a faithful life and how you're going to live the best life, it better include how you're going to help them be faithful and how you're going to bless and benefit them too. It's not just about me, it's about we. Where, where am I going and who am I taking with me? Who am I blessing and benefiting along the way? And that's the mind of Jesus. King of the world comes into creation and he thinks not only of himself, in fact, he thinks of himself last, but he has a clear vision, a clear vision that is going all the way to Calvary, a clear vision that is going all the way to Easter morning, a clear vision that is ascending into heaven and a very clear vision of his return. But every step of the way, though it involves him, it blesses and benefits his people. Christ is at the center of it but he brings us with him every step of the way. His life becomes our righteousness. His death becomes our forgiveness. His empty tomb becomes our eternal life. And his return becomes our resurrection. He didn't just have a vision for him. He knew where he was going, but it was for all of us. Where are you going, gentlemen? And who are you taking with you? Very often when we talk about humility, guys instantly think humiliation. And who can blame us? <laughs> so often for the last, you know, 40, 50 years, every, every image that we've seen in, in pop culture is of some bumbling idiot male. <laughs> but we're not talking about humiliation. Although I, I will say this, one, one quick caveat, gentlemen, that, that if you take seriously the call to to humbly embrace the difficulties of life in order to bless other people, that there will be moments where, where you maybe look like a fool. Like, so for example, if you, if you get married and you have kids, just prepare for the fact that no, no, no one is ever going to find you funny ever again. <laughs> oh, sure, you'll tell jokes, but no one will laugh with you. They will only laugh at you. That's part and parcel to being a, a father, a dad, a husband. People roll their eyes at you. And there will be moments where, where you put yourself out there and you try to love and lead on behalf of the family and you fall flat on your face. And maybe, maybe your spouse or your kids will chuckle. Maybe. That, that might just happen. In fact, I know this from personal experience. Not too long ago, my family went on a walk. And my son, as he is prone to do, he took his razor scooter with him on this walk, but then abandoned it halfway through. And so halfway through the walk, I said, you know what? I'm a good dad. I'm going to carry the scooter for him and I'm going to go and put it away for him where it belongs because I'm a hero. <laughs> and so as I'm walking home with the scooter in hand, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not just a good dad. I'm a fun dad. And so you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll model some fun and humility in my home. I will ride the Razor scooter up the driveway into the garage. And well, I could tell you what happened next, but I could also, by virtue of our security camera, show you what happened next. Here it is. Roll that tape. Roll that tape. That's me. There I am. Yeah. Now, now, what I want you to notice is my wife was a witness to this. It takes her a full 24 seconds to come and check on me. 
Watch this. I can fall one, two, three or four times before my lovely wife of 21 years. I feel like you guys are more concerned for my well-being than my own family was. There are mu- <laughs> my wife is just like, oh my gosh, you're such an idiot. Yeah. All right, you can take it off the screen now. Yeah. There, there, there are moments of humiliation, for sure. But gentlemen, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about humility. It's really not. If you get anything from this sermon and from this series, guys, I, I hope it is this. You, you, are not, you are not above a life of service. In fact, a life of service and sacrifice is the most noble life that there is to live. And that God the Father in Jesus Christ has specifically asked you, you see it in Ephesians chapter 5, he's specifically asked you to imitate Jesus Christ in your relationships with other people, to embrace the same humility, to redeem the curse and the cost by taking it on and embracing it, not for your own sake, but for the sake of other people in order to prove to them that you love them, in order to experience deep meaning and purpose and joy. This, my friends, is the most noble of lives. Is it, is it humbling? Yes. but it's an honor. And I pray that we will embrace it. Amen.